Hi, I'm Caitlin. And I'm Shelley. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Red Mom, Blue Mom podcast. We're two moms on different sides of the political aisle, discussing politics, current events, and social issues. We started this podcast because we want to encourage conversations on tough issues and show that you can have a respectful, productive dialogue even when you disagree. It's hard to believe, but you can actually still be friends with someone with whom you have very different political opinions. Please know that Shelley and I aren't experts on the various topics that we discuss, although we do our best to be informed and accurate. We also share our reference material on our website at redmombluemom.com. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Hi, listeners. It's Red Mom Caitlin. Thanks for joining us for Red Mom Blue Mom. Today, we're discussing paid family leave. This topic has garnered attention recently with several proposals at the national level, as well as here in Colorado with a state-level bill. Currently in the U.S., some workers do have job-protected family leave available to them. However, it is typically unpaid. Some workers also have access to limited paid leave benefits via their employers, but that's not available to everyone in the U.S., and those benefits vary widely from company to company. Unpaid leave of up to 12 weeks that is currently available for workers is provided for under the National Family and Medical Leave Act, established in 1993, commonly known as FMLA. Now, there are various proposals at the national level. One is the Family Act Bill, sponsored by Kirsten Gillibrand, who's a Democratic New York Senator and presidential candidate for 2020. Her bill proposes to provide workers up to 66% of their wages, capped at $1,000 per week for 12 weeks, for things like the birth or adoption of a child, or to take care of their own or a family member's medical issues. Other proposals, including the state proposal here in Colorado, offer variations on those themes, with different levels of wage replacement, employee eligibility criteria, and where the funding for the paid leave comes from, for example, a payroll tax. The idea of paid family leave has received bipartisan support, including from President Trump, who addressed it in his 2019 State of the Union address when he said nationwide paid family leave would ensure that, quote, every new parent has the chance to bond with their newborn child. However, there is pushback on the idea of government-mandated paid family leave from other conservatives as well as some economists and business leaders. Some of the criticism stems from the fact that the idea of paid family leave is often promoted as an amazing benefit, but without also mentioning that there are significant costs and other potential trade-offs associated with it. As an example, here in Colorado alone, the estimated cost of paid family leave is at $1 billion per year, and even that has been criticized as likely being understated. There's also the question of whether or not paid family leave actually benefits women, something we'll talk more about later. I think most people probably like the idea of paid family leave in concept. Who wants to deny parents the opportunity to take paid time away from work so that they can spend quality time with their new child? In fact, a recent survey from the Cato Institute found that 74% of Americans support federal paid leave programs, and many often cite that the U.S. is the only developed nation that doesn't mandate paid family leave. So implementing mandatory paid family leave programs, either at the national or state level, should be a no-brainer, right? Well, as with most well-intentioned policy issues, the rubber hits the road when it comes to the cost impact on business owners, employees, and taxpayers at large. 
And that survey that I just mentioned where 74% of Americans support it, not surprisingly, that number dropped significantly when respondents were asked how much they'd be willing to actually pay for that paid leave program. So Shelley, my first question for our conversation today is, do you support this current legislative push that government should mandate private businesses to provide paid family leave to their employees? Yes, Caitlin, I completely support it. Uh, I have to admit, this one surprised me. I figured all moms were in favor of mandated paid maternity leave. And uh, I think I made the wrong assumption because I guess there are plenty of conservative moms like you who uh, are not in support of the mandated paid leave. While the family leave aspect is really important, because these leaves are mostly used for maternity leave, I want to focus on that for just a moment. Mandated paid maternity leave in particular is long overdue in the United States. The American workforce and families have changed significantly over the last few decades. Single motherhood and dual earner households have been trending upward, and the majority of mothers with young children are now in the labor force. 40% of U.S. households with children under 18 rely heavily on a mother's income. So this leads to an increasingly untenable work-life balance for parents who are forced to choose between their livelihoods and being physically present for their newborn infants, which is so important. Yet, out of 185 countries surveyed by the International Labor Organization, the United States is one of only two countries that does not require any, and I repeat, any paid maternity leave. Among developed uh, economies, the United States is the only one that does not mandate paid maternity leave. In other words, we're the only developed country in the world and one of, one of the only countries in the world, period, rich or poor, that has not required that a mom, after giving childbirth, be allowed to take off even one day of paid leave or one week or one month from work. Now, I know that the argument is it doesn't happen very often where a mom takes such a little leave, but our our law provides that that's that it's okay for moms to take no leave at all. And in fact, nearly a quarter of employed mothers in the United States return to work after just two weeks. That's according to a Washington Post article that I've cited on RedMomBlueMom.com. This is because they simply can't afford to take off more time than that unpaid. And in 2016, 14% of U.S. civilian workers had access to family paid leave. That's according to the National Compensation Survey, which is uh, conducted annually by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Only half of new mothers take paid leave for any duration after the birth of their first child. And among women with less than a high school education, the figure is less than 20%. Access to paid leave is more rare for men. So just 9% of uh, male private sector workers are taking any paid leave. Um, paid maternity leave is higher for moms who have more education, and it does not exist much at all for women with lower income jobs. So for example, 88% of private sector managers and financial workers enjoy paid time off, but that's more than double the rate of service workers and construction workers, which is at 38 to 40%. So you know, I'm concerned about fairness in terms of uh, making babies of lower income families suffer without a loving, nurturing parent around. And those are the jobs that don't have paid leave. Many of them don't even have unpaid leave. And uh, if they do have unpaid leave, a lot of those uh, parents cannot afford to take the unpaid leave and still buy groceries for their families. So that's why they're going back to work after, say, 
two weeks. You know, a two-week-old infant is in no place to be without a loving parent. And when I say that most countries have realized that this is a problem and mandated paid maternity leave, there's a short list posted on redmombluemom.com. Here's an example of how paid leave works around the world. Australia gives 18 weeks of mandated paid maternity leave. Austria, 16 weeks. Belgium, 15 weeks. Bulgaria, 58 weeks. Canada, 17 weeks. Chile, 18 weeks. Costa Rica, 17 weeks. Croatia, 30 weeks. Cyprus, 18 weeks. Czech Republic, 28 weeks. Denmark, 18 weeks. Estonia, 20 weeks. Finland, 17 weeks. France, 16 weeks. Germany, 14 weeks. Greece, 43 weeks. Hungary, 24 weeks. Iceland, 13 weeks. Ireland, 26 weeks. Israel, 14 weeks. Italy, 21 weeks. Japan, 14 weeks. On and on. Mexico, 12 weeks. Poland, 20 weeks. Spain, 16 weeks. Turkey, 16 weeks. The United Kingdom provides 39 weeks. In the United States, not one single week, not even one day. We're the richest country in the world, and many women are unable to hold, nurse, or be with their newborns. Why do we want to be the outlier when it comes to this of all policies, allowing moms to breastfeed, bond with their baby, and allowing babies that time with a parent? So here's the thing with the paid leave, though, and as you mentioned at the beginning of your of your response to my initial question, paid leave is often used for maternity. It can be used for different situations. Um, personally, I have used FMLA, which is the policy here in the U.S., not only for maternity leave with my two boys, but then also uh, more recently when one of my sons had some health issues. So I've kind of used it for both both aspects. But going back to the maternity leave, here's the thing. I mean, I think... Becoming a parent is something that you can and should plan for from all aspects, including financial. So if you work for a company that does not provide paid parental leave, it is up to you and your partner or you as the mother to make sure you are financially prepared to take time off when that baby arrives. If you can't afford to take time off, then maybe you're not prepared to pay for the cost of raising a child. I mean, I, I get the, the value of having parents spend time with their newborns. I'm certainly not disputing that. But it's not as though all of a sudden a newborn baby is here and, oh, my gosh, you've had no time to prepare. Um, there is time to prepare and plan and to be fiscally responsible, financially responsible to, to care for a baby. I just don't think it's the employer's responsibility or the responsibility of your fellow taxpayers, <clears throat> excuse me, to pay for your parental leave. If you don't like that your employer doesn't offer paid leave, then negotiate for it. Maybe uh, via an increase to your take-home pay or find a different employer that does offer it. So I'm, I'm struggling with this idea of, hey, this is a, an emergency situation where all these women have newborns and they don't have the financial means to take time off. You have had many months to prepare for that and that's part of being a responsible parent. I just think that that is a morally inconsistent argument with other arguments that conservatives make. In fact, conservatives are opposed to abortion. Um, they can't say that one ought to have planned for her pregnancy by saving up money for maternity leave because they want to force a woman to carry every pregnancy whenever it occurs. There's no family planning or savings allowed. And I think that conservative position uh, against abortion, you know, sort of wants to force young and low income or poor people to have these babies. And then they're not willing to mandate even one week of paid leave for that mother to nurse the baby. To me, that means the abortion argument wasn't about the baby's life um, because it's it's cruel and inhumane to remove the baby from the mom so quickly. And, I, and, the, and again, in particular, poor people's babies suffer here because those are the ones without any paid leave. 
But I think that is such a false analogy. And I think regular listeners to our podcast have probably gleaned that one of the things I personally value most, and I think this is probably true for many conservatives, one thing I expect from myself and from my fellow human beings is is self-reliance and individual responsibility. That ties back into pregnancy as well. I, I guess to me it's not different because I'm still saying you have responsibility to not get pregnant in the first place. But if you are pregnant and you are prepared or trying to prepare rather to financially uh, support a baby, part of that is planning for maternity leave. I've had to do that. You've had to do that. Um, it's just part of being responsible for yourself and for children that you're bringing into the world. I think the planning planning expectation is unrealistic. In, in today's economy in the United States, there are many, many, many people, an overwhelming majority of people who simply cannot save enough money to, don't earn enough money to save enough money to take off you know, to take out, to pay for their own uh, maternity leave. I am an educated uh, attorney, and I don't know that I could save up um, enough to, uh, or in the past when I had children, I don't know that I could have saved up enough to pay for a leave. Now, it's parents like uh, me who have some types of leave available, maybe some vacation time or some, uh, as you pointed out, FMLA time, Um, I want to point out that the FMLA, what it does is it provides eligible workers with unpaid leave for certain family caregiving needs. Um, It does not provide any paid leave of any kind, and it's only applicable to uh, employees who work at a place where there are more than 50 employees at that location within a 75-mile radius. So that leaves out a lot of um, employees. In fact, only 60% of Americans are covered by the FMLA. So what you're suggesting with the personal responsibility argument is that everybody else, and again, it's people who don't have the means, especially are, are more impacted by this, that they shouldn't get paid time with their kids. And the problem with that for me is that it's in, in particular bad for the baby. I agree with that. Again, I'm not discounting or disputing the importance of having a mother in particular, but much less the parents there for a newborn baby. But Ultimately, to me, it is so cut and dry. It's so straightforward. If you cannot afford to have a baby, I don't care if you are a low-income worker, if you're a high-income worker, if you can't afford to have a baby and part of having a baby is the cost of maternity leave, if you want to take a week off, 12 weeks off, a year off, if you can't afford to do that, then you should not be having that baby. And I don't think it's fair to ask for an employer or your fellow taxpayer to pay for that when you are not prepared to handle it yourself. There's no obligation to get pregnant. There's no obligation to have a baby. Personal responsibility to me dictates that as the mother, as the family, it is up to you ultimately to be prepared to pay for that baby. And maternity leave and taking paid time off is is part of that planning. Well, what I think you're doing is favoring you know, babies of um, higher income people over babies of lower income people. The end result is is that. But let's talk for a minute about costs, because I think that's the, you know, you mentioned in your introduction that that's the main problem with uh, these proposals. Now, as you pointed out, there's a federal proposal. There's also a Colorado proposal right now. Before talking about what they cost, let me just comment on what the current situation is in terms of cost to us. Working families in the United States lose an estimated $20.6 billion in wages each year 
due to lack of access to paid leave. The estimated value of unpaid family care provided in 2013 was $470 billion. Without a national paid leave policy, the United States is missing out on substantial economic activity, which, according to the Department of Labor, has been estimated at roughly $500 billion. And yet, Kaylin, we spend billions of dollars providing tax subsidies to large corporations every year. You mentioned that the cost of this um, could be up to a billion dollars per year. That strikes me as very low cost when compared to the benefits. Some of the conservative literature on this is misleading with respect to what it really costs businesses. One, retaining women who have babies, there's been many studies on that, it proves it saves bil- uh, billions of dollars for businesses. Paid leave is good for the business because it keeps women in their jobs, which turns out is a big cost savings. It costs about a fifth of a person's salary to retrain someone else to take their job when they leave the job because they didn't have paid leave. Um, the federal proposed law right now is a workers' comp style insurance fund, which you could call a payroll tax of 0.64% of a person's salary, whereas the Colorado bill is 0.4% of a person's salary. And those numbers are shared by the employer and the employee. In Colorado, at least, the employee pays more of that than the employer. And with these laws having passed in California, Rhode Island, New Jersey, uh, and now recently New York, uh, Massachusetts, and D.C., there is some data available for how how costly this is to businesses. With the California law, uh, research now shows, it's been in effect for several years, that 87% of businesses in California reported no increased cost as a result of the program, and 9% indicated that the program had generated cost savings for their businesses, again, by reducing employee turnover. Similarly, in California, they found that it either increases or leaves productivity where it, where it is. So 90% of businesses did not report any drop in productivity. Uh, 99% of businesses employ, uh, reported improved employee morale. It, in particular, small businesses seem to have benefited. What's interesting to me is, again, conservatives are, are always saying that they want to support small businesses. The way that this, the federal and the Colorado law are structured with this sort of insurance fund, it's designed to help small businesses in particular. So um, small businesses often have trouble matching the more generous leave benefits offered by larger employers, which gives them a little bit of a hiring disadvantage. When paid leave is administrated through a insurance program like this, small businesses benefit in particular because the cost is shared. So in California, although all employers reported positive income outcomes overall, small and medium-sized businesses that is, those with fewer than 100 employees, reported more positive outcomes than larger businesses. So here's my question. If this uh, idea of mandating paid family leave is so amazing and such a benefit for businesses of all sizes and all of those um, purported benefits that you just listed, why aren't companies doing it today? If it's that great, then the government shouldn't have to mandate it. The fact that government is having to mandate it, to me, indicates that really, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, it's not necessarily economically feasible. It's not necessarily economically advantageous because otherwise people would already be doing it. Employers would say, gosh, this is such a benefit. It's keeping my women employees. It's retaining employees. It's boosting morale. 
companies aren't doing that. In fact, there's a great article from the New York Times um, published in January of 2019 uh, that talks about some results and uh, information shared by the Gates Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which I don't think anyone would argue would probably lean conservative. Starting in 2015, the Gates Foundation began offering parents one year of fully paid leave. They weren't mandated to do that. There was no change in government regulations. They just decided to do it because they thought it was the right thing to do for their employees. They've changed that, right? So as of January this year, they said, gosh, this isn't working. One year is too long. It doesn't help our business. It's it's not sustainable. So they have cut that in half going back to six months. And now they've added a stipend for new parents for childcare, which is still a great benefit, obviously. But I, I guess if it is that wonderful, all of these wonderful benefits that, that employers are supposedly seeing from paid leave, they would already be doing it. You wouldn't need government to force them to do it. Well, I think it's interesting in that example that you gave with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that they, after experience with it, they reduced it from one year, which is one of the highest uh, paid leaves I've ever heard of, to six months, which is still much higher than the proposed laws here, which are you know, proposing three months, up to three months of paid leave. You know, I think anytime businesses um, are faced with this, there's some some concern, although according to a small business ma- uh, majority survey in California, bi- again, businesses with, more, with fewer than 100 workers, seven in 10 said they actually support creating this type of leave insurance program. Um, this is way better than uh, what you're suggesting is, you know, of course, employers would be against having to pay for all of the leave themselves. I might be for that, by the way. <laughs> but uh, the the more conservative approach is actually this insurance fund, which is is what's being proposed. And that and that's where it's kind of spreads the cost out over all employees, all employers, so that no one's really paying that much. Um, so when the employee is relying more on the state insurance system, then they're relying less on the em- employer's benefits, and so it's actually easier on the employer. I'd like to say two things, though. Um, number one, just going back to the Gates Foundation, and you're right, still having a six-month paid leave plus the stipend to help offset childcare costs, that's an amazing benefit. I think that's great, and I think the fact that Gates Foundation as a private enterprise has decided that that's what they want to offer their employees Fantastic. They should be able to do that all day long. Any other employer or company or business owner across the country should be able to have the decision-making power to create a benefits package that they think is right for their company, right for their business, and right for their employees. I don't think government uh, should mandate that. But I did want to also go back, Shelley, to a comment that you made at the beginning of our conversation about fairness and thinking about uh, whether or not it's fair and and thinking about um, the impact of uh, family leave policies on women and families of different socio uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera. Well, here's another aspect of fairness from a conservative perspective. Most of these proposals, and including the one in Colorado, are typically funded based on a payroll tax. And you just mentioned, you know, a, a 0.6% or a 0.4%, whatever it might be. Most of that burden goes on the pa- on the on the part of the employees, right? They're paying into that, as you kind of described it, like an insurance program. Well, what about those employees who don't want or need family paid leave? And in Colorado, the proposal that's in front of the legislature right now is assuming a 3.5 utilization rate of this program, of this this paid family leave program. So if it's true that less than 4% of Colorado workers are expected to use the program 
How is that fair for the other 96% of workers that are paying into it? Uh, isn't it unfair to reduce the take-home pay for every worker just for the benefit of so few? Caitlin, I think it's a really good argument that you make. You're correct. There are then people who are paying for this who have no intention of using the leave, much like I have neighbors who pay property tax that fund our kids' schools and they don't have kids. Uh, that's also arguably not fair. Now, there's some that would say that having high, high, highly educated kids is good for society. I think similarly, allowing parents to spend time with their babies is good for society. So I'm okay with that unfairness. I agree with you that it is unfair. There's different ways to do this. One way that wouldn't, uh, wouldn't cause that unfairness would be, again, for the employer to just pay for it all. And interestingly, that isn't being proposed because it is harder on employers. Um, there's another proposal out there. Uh, I think you might have read about it. I'm wondering, Caitlin, if you support it. I don't think it's been proposed as a law, but I think Senator Rubio and some other conservatives have said, what if we allow uh, for maternity leave people to and in family leave for people to pull from their social security benefits early. Um, and frankly, I would be in favor of any of these. I just think we need some, we need to take the next step and have some paid leave in the United States. Would you be in favor of that social security uh, proposal? Yeah, I, I agree with you that there needs to be some solution. I just wanted to mention on the property tax piece, I agree with you that it's perhaps not fair, quote unquote, that some homeowners pay property taxes and they don't have kids in public schools. But of course, property taxes are used to pay for other municipal services as well, right? So there's road maintenance and police and fire. So to me, that's not 100% analogous to what we're describing here. Um, I did see the idea of pulling uh, some sort of access or funding, rather, for paid family leave from Social Security. In fact, that was proposed by two Republican senators, uh, Joni Ernst out of Iowa and Mike Lee out of Utah. Um, that's one of those national proposals that's going around. The idea there is that uh, parents or families or mothers could withdraw from their future Social Security benefits, um, basically just time shifting that benefit forward, and then they would have to uh, delay access to Social Security uh, at a later date when they are at retirement age. I like that idea. The other idea that I've seen bandied around that I thought was interesting was the idea of creating kind of a paid family leave uh, savings account, so to speak, kind of like health savings accounts that many folks use for health expenses and things like that. That's another interesting idea, right, where you allow that individual the opportunity to put money away that's going to be used solely for them. There's no impact on other taxpayers. There's no burden on anybody else. There's no additional burden on the employer. Um, I like those kind of ideas. You just mentioned that you like the idea of employers paying for this, and, and that I think you said you were surprised that no one's proposed that. Um, you know, the economics of that are such that if, if there was a requirement for employers to pay for uh, paid family leave, of course, they're going to reduce take-home pay, right? So again, that's where this right. trade-off piece no, comes into play. I'm not surprised, but I'm not, I didn't say I was surprised that employers, that it hasn't been proposed, but like I say, that would be the way to make it, to take care of the fairness argument that you raised. Yeah. The other, the other reason I don't like this idea of mandating paid family leave as the solution that everybody has to adhere to is that different people prioritize different benefits related to how they want to raise their family and what financial mechanisms would best help them. Uh, the Cato poll that I, re that I referenced at the beginning of our conversation included some interesting data that really showed that paid family leave is not the priority for most parents when asked what type of financial benefit would best help their family. 
Affordable childcare was number one, flexible work schedules was number two, and the ability to work remotely were all higher than paid family leave. The New York Times article that I cited says the same thing, that quote, stating financial assistance for childcare on behalf of parents has a bigger effect um, on a woman's ability to keep working. So if the goal here is to provide for more women in the workforce, to provide a more equal playing, for, uh, playing field for women that are having to choose, so to speak, between motherhood and jobs, if the goal here is to provide families with a benefit that's really going to make an impact, the paid family leave is not the top of the list. And so again, I struggle with anything that the government is mandating because the, the government is putting a stick in the ground saying, we have decided that this is the best solution for your family when in fact that may not be the case. And so I keep coming back to, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, why not let private employers make the choice of which benefits they wanna offer based on what they think is best for their business and best for the employees. And that may be different for every employer. Um, that gives flexibility and it's not, we don't need more big government making these decisions for us. The reason we need uh, man to mandate paid leave is because it's wrong to separate uh, parents from two-week-old babies so quickly. You mentioned that it's uh, the Cato but, data. But hold says, on, hold on. That's, that's, that to me is not telling the whole thing. The government, no one is separating, be it the employer or the government, no one is separating parents from their babies. And, and again, coming back to parents and mothers need to plan for that time. And I know you and I disagree on that. But I, I feel like when you say that, it makes it sound like someone in it, someone is coming in and forcing that worker to well, leave their baby at home. That The article that I just mentioned that says that a, a quarter of women go back to work uh, after two weeks because they can't afford you know, to buy groceries and they don't have paid leave, that's being forced. None of those women want to leave their two-week-old babies. So, But do you um, worry about that woman and that family's situation to support that child, not only during a maternity leave period, but through the through the life of that child? Well, we have a problem with um, wealth inequality in the United States. So we have a tremendous amount of people who live paycheck to paycheck. But and no one is forcing you to have a baby. If you decide to have a baby, you should be responsible enough to have financial means to support that child. But what you're saying is that that is not wealthy, wealthy people should be allowed to have babies and poor people shouldn't. No, you just said yourself a little bit ago that even as an attorney, well-educated, well-employed, kind of white-collar career woman, that even you, looking back on, on your time you know, as a new mother, you may not have been able to pay for it. So I, you know, sure, are there wealthy people that don't need to think about this? Of course. But again, responsibility regardless of your socioeconomic status to care for a child and what that means to your family and the trade-off of the expense of having a baby versus paying for other household expenses I just think people need to be responsible for that. And taxpayers and employers are not responsible for that. But it's just not available. So in my case, you know, like I say, I had paid vacation I could take. I had other, I had FMLA maybe. But for many women who, again, where FMLA doesn't apply and where they don't have any paid leave and where they're working a low-income job, there's no option. There's no option except leaving the, the baby alone. And I think that it's evidence that because we're the last developed country on earth and one of the only countries on earth developed or uh, undeveloped that does not provide any mandated paid leave, I think that that is evidence that there is a consensus globally that this is an important enough issue where there should be some government intervention. You mentioned that um, paid 
childcare is more important to some people, but my guess is that you're probably not in favor of that either. In terms of it being a priority, what, what, what people ask for when they look for jobs, I think anyone who is of the point in their life where they are going to have a baby soon, it's probably one of the most important things that people would look for in a job. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the question, the verbatim question that was asked in this Cato study, um, and certainly doesn't represent all parents or all families, the question that was asked was, which of the following would be the best way to help you balance work? and family. Pretty open-ended. And again, more affordable childcare, uh, flexible work schedules, and ability to work remotely were both, excuse me, were all three of those two to three times uh, more answered or more requested than this idea of paid parental leave. So again, Sure, because a lot of the people answering the question maybe may already have kids. And so for them, childcare is more important. Oh, I see what and, you mean. And as a, you know, if that question is, is asked to all ages and all types of employees, certainly, you know, the only people that are going to prioritize paid leave are, you know, the 30-year-olds who are looking to, to have a family. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there. I just, I, do, I don't like any situation, be it mandated paid leave or anything else, where the government is deciding what is best for me as an individual, what is best for me as a parent, what is best for my family. I don't like that. I would rather have the flexibility and the choice, which I have today, to find an employer that I work for that offers those policies of their own volition or um, you know, pursue other choices that are better for my family, be it maybe a shorter maternity leave or whatever that might be. I don't like the idea of government mandating what they think is the right solution. I just don't think those choices are out there. There are very, very few employers who offer paid uh, maternity leave, and there's an overwhelming majority of uh, parents in the United States who who can't get any paid leave. And by the way, I want to point out that not having paid leave is also discriminatory against women, in my view, because it's only the woman who can actually bear the child. And as a society, we've, I guess, somewhat agreed that we don't want to completely cease childbearing. So we're requiring the women to lose out more in their careers. These bills that are proposed are gender inclusive. They allow either parent to take off time. That type of leave program would address gender discrimination that I'm speaking of, and um, it would reduce the disparity between men and women who take off time from work. In California, the men's use of the paid leave program uh, has more than doubled since the state implemented it. And similarly, in Rhode Island, men started taking off to care for a newborn more often. Uh, women who take paid leave after a child's birth are more likely to be in the labor force in the 9 to 12 months after a child's birth and therefore earn higher wages in the year following the child's birth. It's better for women's careers, in my view, to be able to have some paid time off and then get back in the workforce if that's what they, if that's what they choose to do. I think not having any paid leave at all, any mandated paid leave, does work out worse for women than it does men. And again, no one is forcing women to have babies. Um, so if, if you as a female are, are focused on your career and career development and you think having a baby is going to detract from that, don't have a baby. I just, to me, that is, that is very, uh, again, cut and dry. I don't necessarily think that this is discriminatory. But I do want to ask, expand on your idea there, this question of does paid family leave ultimately help or hurt women in the workforce? And I think it sounds like you believe it, it helps them. But there was a great article that we've shared on 
on Red Mom, Blue Mom from the Harvard Business Review that talks about there's evidence that reveals that the longer new mothers are away from work, um, it results in a couple things. It results in those women less likely being promoted, less likely to move into management, less likely to receive pay raises after their leave is over, greater risk of them being fired or demoted, and it impacts perceptions of those women among their coworkers, that they're maybe less committed to their jobs, et cetera. And what was interesting about that is that the Harvard study found that that bias around perception was true and equal between both male and female coworkers, which I thought was a really interesting point. So I just think it's an interesting question, this idea of paid family leave, if one one of the goals is to help women and help mothers uh, in their careers. Do these paid leave policies actually have some unintended consequences? What are your thoughts about that? The paid leave absolutely helps a woman's career. Uh, in fact, the lack of paid leave hurts a woman's career because if she wants to do the right thing for her baby, which is to spend some time with her baby, she has to leave her job. That's That hurts her career. Uh, it's hard to get back in the market after you leave your job to have a baby, and paid leave actually helps women keep their careers. So what's the right amount of leave? What do you think women should get as a paid leave? Well, I think these policies that are proposing three months, I think that's a, a minimum. I think it's good. I'm, I'm glad we're doing it. In my perfect world, if I got to choose the number, I'd probably choose something around six months. And you don't consider that a long leave? Whether or not that's a long leave, um, I'm basing that answer on the baby. So again, a, a two-week-old baby is the most vulnerable and inappropriate being to leave without a loving parent. A two-year-old child might be more suitable for childcare because of some ability to communicate and that kind of thing. So somewhere in the middle is uh, an age where it's easier for parents to, to envision leaving their, their children with someone else. For, like I say, for me, maybe you know, maybe six months to a year, but certainly these proposals that uh, start at three months, I think this is a great step forward for our country. I think it's a great balance between uh, employers' needs, uh, the cost of this, and uh, a baby's and parents' needs. Yeah, the reason I asked about the leave is that, um, you know, some of the articles that I read talked about how there has been scope creep of these family leave policies in places like Europe, where initially, for example, in Sweden, their paid leave policy started at 26 weeks, which is pretty generous in 1970, and now it's at 56 weeks in 2016. So again, I come at this from a lens of a business owner as an employer is it fair to ask a private business owner or frankly a public uh, entity of any size, but especially small business owners, to hold that employee's job for them for longer than about 12 weeks, um, which is the current requirement under the FMLA law here in the US. You know, employers have a lot of expenses too. They have the expense of hiring temporary help. They have to train and onboard those people. You know, the longer the leave, six months, 12 months, whatever it might be, um, that's a huge burden on the part of the employer. And that's asking a lot for them to kind of put some of their business practices on hold. And again, coming back to that Gates Foundation example, that was one of the specific reasons that they cited was that having that longer leave was not sustainable for the business. With the with the shorter leave, like what they've implemented in California, the three months, two thirds of small businesses there, or sixty five percent, which you would think might have been concerned about stretching other employees too thin, as you say, or re relying heavily on uh, other employees to work more hours, actually reported no increased overtime pay costs because of the implementation of the law. So what's happening here, and what the data shows 
in California, Rhode Island, New Jersey, is that businesses have adjusted to these laws. They're not as onerous as expected. But again, if there are so many amazing benefits for an employer to offer paid family leave, they would do it, right? I mean, they would just do it. There's no need for government to step in. Let the market work as it should. Well, much like the other 185 countries in the world who have decided that this, this is the right thing for the government to do, it's not acceptable to leave this in the hands of the private market. If you can't afford a baby, don't have a baby. What you mean is don't get pregnant because (laughs) don't get pregnant at all. Right, 100%. I agree. If If you can't afford it, if you're not prepared financially, emotionally, whatever, to have a baby, don't get pregnant. It is super preventable. Um, I did want to add just one more thing, and I know most of our conversation today has been focused on uh, using paid leave in the sense of maternity leave, and I agree with you that that's um, often the situation. But of course, there are situations where uh, people have other health issues for themselves or a family member or perhaps an aging parent that, of course, are not related to uh, becoming a new parent. Um, I just wanted to clarify, because I know I've been very uh, probably harsh in the view of some of our listeners around uh, planning for and self-responsibility as it relates to planning for a baby and adding a member to your family. But of course, I realize there are are situations where you have an unexpected illness or an emergency health situation, um, and that to me is different. I think if you need to take time off to care for yourself or a child or an aging parent, um, especially if that time off is unplanned or unexpected. So ideally, someone has savings, right, that can kind of carry them through that rainy day situation if there's an unexpected health issue. But if not, and we touched on some of these alternative health, uh, excuse me, some of these alternative solutions, I do like the idea of allowing individuals to either access social security or to uh, create some sort of HSA type savings account that people can use for paid family leave. But let me make sure I understand what you just said. I, I also agree with you that paid family leave is important. That is to care for an aging parent or whatnot. Um, But I'm surprised to hear you say that you do. Why isn't that, how is that different on the personal responsibility? Why wouldn't you have saved up to provide for that? Whereas you're, you're arguing that all parents should have to have saved up to provide for having a baby. Well, again, I said, I think my expectation is that people do put away money for a rainy day. Um, But if you have an emergency health situation that comes up, that's going to result in you having to take time off for work. That to me is different than planning for your family, getting pregnant, having a full-term pregnancy. Why why shouldn't you have to take care of your own your own health care or your your own parents health care you should have to but I think if you have an emergency situation that's going to take you away from work for three or six months you don't think that that's different than having a pregnancy I I mean I'm I support it I support both but I'm surprised to hear you say that you think there's a difference in terms of personal responsibility why would you be expected to um, never have a baby unless you can pay yourself the time you know the the leave so what you're saying is those people should find another job or do some other type of planning and save money to have a baby, but you're saying you don't feel that way about uh, taking care of a sick family member. I'm just saying that, of course, everyone should have savings for a rainy day, but to me it is a different expectation to think that an employer or your fellow taxpayers should pay for you to take time off for maternity leave when you've had ample time to plan for that versus having some sort of safety net for a catastrophic and unexpected health event. Well, all health events are are unexpected. Um, I think that we expect that they're unexpected. I mean, I think it's inconsistent to say that that you should have to uh, save up for pregnancy, but not have to save up for 
uh, the potential illness because the same personal responsibility logic, I think, to be consistent would apply to both circumstances. Yeah, I agree. And that's why, again, I think having people uh, have savings for themselves. But I think an unexpected diagnosis of cancer, as an example, and, you know, having to take time off of work to get treatment for yourself or, God forbid, a child or another family member, to me, is a much different situation than planning for a pregnancy and the birth of a new child. Those, to me, are very different situations. Well, then we both agree that there should be leave for uh, family illness situations, which I think is about roughly maybe a quarter of the people who are using the leave that is now offered in states that are offering this so we agree on about a quarter of the leave cases. We just don't agree on the maternity piece. Uh, maternity piece. Again, I don't disagree that people should be able to take uh, time off and, and um, you know, enjoy being at home with their babies and have that time uh, be paid. I just don't think it should be mandated by the government. That, that, to me, is the key distinction. I think employers should have the ability to determine those benefits for themselves without the intervention of uh, big government getting in the way. And I think that it's unreasonable that we have moms in the United States going back to work after two weeks because of the government's failure so far to mandate paid leave. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks, Shelley. This has been an interesting conversation, um, as is often the case on these issues. I think we tend to diverge along traditional party lines between Democrats and Republicans. Um, so it seems to me that sometimes, regardless of the issue that we're talking about, those differences between political ideology and the role of government and, and things like that um, are always very evident and very different between the two of us. But I appreciate hearing your perspective on this topic. And I do yours. Thanks, Caitlin. Thanks, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon.